Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Capitalize and Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates Brownsort, and today I'm talking to Brandon Neely. Brandon's a, a classic entrepreneur. He's he's one of those guys who's who's bought or built and sold a business. And what he's doing now is he's he's using everything he learned from exiting his business and growing his own business to helping other business owners to be the best they can be. Hey, welcome, Brandon, and uh, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Daryl. I'm excited to be here and hopefully impart some wisdom of what not to do. Oh, I'm sure you will. So look, why don't you just give us uh, listeners a little bit of a backstory about your your, your business, the the business that you the, the one we're referring to. I think it was a cafe, wasn't it, from memory? Yeah, yeah. I used to own a uh, coffee shop uh, in Chicago. Uh, if you want to get rich, don't start a coffee shop. Start something else. Uh, did not know that when I started, but we wanted to make a difference in the world, so that's why we started it. And uh, we didn't have a rich relative that helped us to get that going. Uh, we, you know, had the, what, what most entrepreneurs, when they get started, naive, naivety, you know, like they're very naive to, oh, I can conquer the world. I can do all this, which is really important. Um, and, and energy, right? And energy. Yeah. Um, and all of that. But then we got, you know, smacked in the face a couple of times throughout the years uh, and ultimately sold that uh and was moved into the financial services sector of all places um but using our um experience hopefully to help more businesses thrive uh as opposed to just barely survive or um we're talking about exit strategies a lot of business owners think their retirement is their business but yeah. they never actually planned it and they are forced to exit by closing as opposed to selling, uh, and I'd love to prevent that. If it it's 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 one thing that you and I have both got got in common. No, it's it's sharing with business owners because yeah, I, I love what you say. Like business owners start their business with with passion and energy and enthusiasm. I, I've been consulting to to businesses for probably twenty years now in the SME market, and I think I've only ever met four businesses that ever had a business plan, documented business plan that they could show me. And each one of those four businesses only had a business plan because it was just a financial forecast to get the funding they required. So yeah, that just tells me that business owners on the whole, they start their business because it's their energy enthusiasm and their entrepreneurial flair where they see a gap in the market that or or a gap in the product that needs to be fixed and a problem solved for, for, for many people in the, in, in the marketplace. And that's what they're good at. Yeah. And yeah, you know, they're really good at that. And they think, Hey, one day I'm going to build this business up and I'm going to, you know, someone's going to come and bang on my door and, you know, give me a big pot of gold and, and I'll float off into the sunset and, and it's wonderful. And my business is my pension. So too many business owners are neglecting their, their wealth creation, shall we say, outside of their business, which I think you're alluding to, and and they're just hoping that their business is their pension. So, um, yeah, it's and and then then you hit them with the reality that only 20% of businesses that go to market actually get sold. 20%, and and to me that's tragic, Brandon. It's it's tragic that only 20% have got the or 100% have got this dream, but only 20% realize it. So. Yeah. 
Yep. Let's see what we can do to, to change that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, is like that idea. And I think you had it in a few previous episodes um, with some other guys is kind of the idea of reverse architecting, right? Reverse engineering or thinking, where do we want it to be building the systems that you want? Uh, and you're not there all, right from the beginning, especially if you're a new business, right? I always think of um, a business as a child almost. It's like having a baby that, and if, if you're just you and one person, right? You have a um, baby that you're having to wipe its butt, do all kinds of crazy stuff that you don't want to do, right? And then as it grows, you do a little less, right? You, you have an infrastructure. They can actually wipe their own butts, right? That's kind of like business. You have a staff and then you're like, how in the world did that staff person do that? Uh, and it develops over time. The problem is most people, when they start a business, they compare themselves to a person who has a, uh, an adult business versus a person that has a baby business. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, the, the business, there's, yeah, what, what I think you're saying is the business, when it starts out, it, you're not quite sure what you're doing. You're making it up as you go along. You're, you're learning by experience on your, on, in the game type of thing. You're thrown into the deep end and you survive. And let's stick with the parenting analogy and say they all survive. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it, it, it's, it's good. And, and as you get skilled, as you refine your experience, as you, you know, some of those first ideas you thought of don't work and some of the, the others do, you refine, you, you sharpen everything you do, you get better, you get better, you get better and you keep growing. Yeah. So the business. But what happens is just as your kid grows up, yeah, they don't need their butt wiped anymore, but uh, they they need to go to football practice. They need to go to school. They need books. They 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 have different sort of issues that rise you know, that come to the fore. They grow to become teenagers. They have teenage problems. Then they hate you and and then they uh, move on and come back. And, and, and there's all sorts of dis the issues keep changing is what you're saying, isn't it? Well, and that leads into um, and I, I'm a profit first certified person. Um, Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, says that your business becomes a cash-eating monster, right? And so if you have a teenager, you can just expect, and I have a four-year-old, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to make a lot more money because this kid's already eating a lot. Like that's the same kind of principles if you build the systems around you and your business will always want more. I mean, it's always going to want more money, you're going to want to feed it, you know, all that stuff. And you have to build systems in place. So that way you, you build a, in a proper efficient way. And that's again, why profit first is such a powerful financial system that it's again, reverse engineering and making sure if you're going to sell the exit idea, um, if you're not paying yourself or showing profit, on your P&Ls and all that stuff, who's going to buy a business that they have to like buy another job? A lot of entrepreneurs I see are business owners just have a glorified job and they haven't really built in that part of paying themselves and all that stuff. And is that what you found at running the cafe, Brandon, that um, you basically had had your own job, you were buying your own job, you owned your own job? Um, or worse, worse, probably, because, you know, when we started, here's the thing. When, and, I, and I tell people, if you want to start a business, like a profitable business, don't start a cafe for sure, because uh, the cost of goods. 
but it's illegal to not pay your staff, right? And you have to pay them fairly. However, no one's going to come out through you if you don't pay yourself. Yep. Uh, and usually that's the first thing that cuts, right? We'll do more marketing. We'll do more less than this because we eventually it's going to all pay out, right? I've heard that many times. Oh, eventually, eventually it'll work. Well, there's three things that I tell every business owner because that not only is it in the business world that you have to deal with things, but it's personal life. You're not just your business, right? So Every business owner, as they start, or if they're going to buy a business, I, I say, know that you know that you know that you're called to it because it's going to yeah. get <clears throat> know, know that thing. So then, whenever things happen, you are back, you know, you can lean on it, have a team around you that don't just care about your output, but you, marriage, things like that, and then know your numbers. And too many business owners, they say, well, I'll hire a CFO. I like sales. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, I'll do that part and somebody else will, but I'm, I'm not good at numbers. I'm like, yeah, well, you better be good with numbers if you're the person in charge leading the charge of the business. Yeah. You've got to know the numbers. You've got to, you've got to be passionate about it because business is all about energy. And, and what I've learned is that that business owners, they're like the sun in the solar system and everything radiates out from them. And at first it's their passion and their vision and their energy, which drives the business forward. And as they grow and evolve and develop, they'll get more people on board along the way. What they learn and realize at some point, hopefully, is that people are buying into their vision. They're going, I see what you can see. Now that you've shared it with me, I can see that. And I want to go on that journey with you. And that comes down to fundamental human behavior that we want to be part of something important. We want to be part of something that's bigger than us. We want to contribute. And some people contribute as leaders and, and we all contribute as followers of, of some sort. And we want to be part of something and help it grow. And, and it's our job as entrepreneurs, I believe, is to help share those ideas, inspire people with something. Because if you inspire them with something, you know, you'll inspire them to follow you and help work with you and build that journey because we need all those different skill sets, don't we? Like some people can change nappies or diapers and and some people teach and, and, and take them to school and, and babysit and coach football and sport and baseball and, and all sorts of different things. It's the journey. So what was happening in your cafe business when you realized, like, because you've said a couple of times, look, don't don't go into cafes if you want to make money. But there's, we look out and we can see that there's Starbucks and there's plenty of coffee shops. You know, every country's got their own chain of coffee shops and also a whole stack of independent coffee shops and cafes and what have you that are doing phenomenally well. Some are, some aren't. What did you learn? What is it that makes some profitable, uh, some not? And how did it come to your, yeah. your realization? I think one is what they always say is location, location, location. That's really yeah. important. But also the... Uh, rent, right? If you, and this is, was a problem for us is our rent was low, but we weren't in control. So we were on a year to year lease and it just wasn't going to work for the longevity of it. It helped us to get where we were to build the business, but uh, leadership changed and there was no control of the future, right? Because we didn't have ownership of that space. And so that made it difficult. Uh, and looking at the numbers, Sometimes, and this is in people's personal finances too, they're spending more on their overhead, like their, their rent and everything, than what they can 
on everything else, right? And so you have to look at all of that when you're trying to grow, expand. And then on top of that, you have staffing and other things, food costs. It can go, and, and this is why I love bigger chains is because they can control costs a bit more, right? When you have seven locations, you can buy bread for all seven of them, right? Or milk, and it'll bring down the cost. When you're one, it's a little more expensive. Say, and But you say that, say you pay the same tax-wise or, you know, other things like that. So as you grow, it becomes a little easier because you build the systems that can support. You might have a manager of two organize two shops, right? That can do, you pay them the same, but they're running two locations as opposed to one. And so I think it's difficult when you're starting from the ground up. We were working to franchise it or think about doing that kind of thing. But then life, other things came into play. I'm I'm a caretaker of my mother-in-law. They had some issues that they had to move in with us. And also we became pregnant around that time. And it's kind of illegal to have a baby behind the bar. I can eat ramen all day long, but it's again, illegal to, or not illegal, but it's not healthy to give your kid ramen, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So we were just saying, okay, what do we want our life to be like? What kind of parents do we want to be? Does this still play into it? Now, when we started our cafe, we were going to be there forever. We were going to be grandparents in that. Like that was the plan. Burn the boats, you know, or burn the bridges, you know, all that stuff. No backwards kind of thing. But what we also <laughs> did was say, we are going to give ourselves five years, no other way. There's no other. And we, we are okay in five years, if things are shifting that we can make a pivot and not feel bad about it. Cause sometimes people are like some cost fallacy, all that stuff. And they're like, yeah, but I put it too much into this. Well, you know, it's okay. At some point you gotta, you gotta realize, okay. So, so your situation, your life environment changed. Um, you realized that you were going to exit the cafe. Did you sell it? How did you exit? Yeah, uh, we had had a flood in the business. Luckily, I, I'm a, a proponent of infinite banking, which is a really cool concept here in the States. So we built our assets and uh, or access to, to cash. Well, we had a, again, we were not in charge of the building, but they in that building uh, took off the roof and then there was a, flash flood that happened and our store literally flooded um and we got it back to normal it took a little bit of time you know because bills still come in and we needed capital just to recover and pay some but we got recovered from that and then a friend of mine would always come in and he would always ask me what's my number and i was like well what's he came in one day and i said what's your number uh you know that was probably not the best negotiating tactic to go with but he was always interested in buying it. And then we were like, all right, we're going to make a change. We're having a kid. We need to, to do something. So we started that business valuation, looking what it's worth. And it wasn't for as high as I wanted it to be, but we were able to at least sell it and then start a new venture. Okay. So the valuation came in. It's not as high as, as, as you'd hoped. I don't think it ever is. Um, and so did you have any idea of value before you sort of started the negotiation process? We had a little bit, I think, but I mean, you know, that's just a, in your head, 
We never yeah. formally did a valuation. And because everybody, when they start a business, they think it's worth a million dollars, you know, and, and or more, right? Depending on the size. One, two, five, 10, 20. Yeah. They're the uh, numbers. Yeah. And, and what I learned is there's a lot more to look at than just even uh, cash flow uh, whenever it comes to, to valuation. Cash flow is important. How much I'm paying myself is important because they're going to look and say, okay, how can I do that without you being here? Because you're the lifeblood of that business. Yep. Uh, and then what other metrics do you have? Like a website, uh, email list, all the things that come alongside a business. Because we had a pretty extensive email list for a coffee shop. We emailed regularly and we created content. That's a lot of what they were buying was our brand. We added uh, a logo that and all that that was trademarked. So those things were intentionally done. It, we were hoping it might've been for us to start a second uh, location personally, but in the end, it, we set those things up. Someone else got to use it. So tip number one, I guess, is what you're saying is always be clear on what it is about your business, your industry that makes it valuable. Where does the value come from? Yeah, it's revenue and the amount of revenue is is the first piece. Absolutely. But how is that revenue structured? Is it I have to sell each client one thing once? Do they come back? How repeatable are my clients? How loyal are they? You know, what's the size, the repeat purchase, the structure, the contracts? Or what does my revenue look like? Yeah. Then the next thing we need to start looking at is is what do my staff look like? How loyal are my staff? How well trained? How how easy is it to get new staff? How quickly does it you know does it take to replace staff? How available are they? How well educated? How's the culture? Yeah, and 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 they're the first two baselines before I start even looking at systems and processes and and seeing if people are following. Does everyone do the same thing the same way, or do we start from scratch every time we start a process? If you know, is there some sort of structure and process in the way we do things? What's my systems thinking like? And then they're they're the the three baseline elements that we look at, and we go and and from what we look at when we we start to value a business, we go if those three ba baselines are in place, that's just the cost of entry, yeah. because that's what'll get you your standard industry valuation. If you want to get a higher than standard industry valuation, you need to start looking at the, what we call the multiple levers. Do I have product proprietary IP? Do I have something special? Do I have multiple routes to market? You know. You, you talked about I wanted to franchise. You know, is my business set up so it's plug and play? And you know, do I have sort of brand reputation and can I scale it? So they're, they're the other things that we need to look at. So for business owners listening out there, there, there is actually a structured list, if you like, a predefined list of all the things you need in place if you want to increase the value of your business. Otherwise, it's just hit and miss and we're back to that hope strategy, right? Yeah. Well, and again, there's so much uh, on the fringes of what brings value that we just don't even think about, right? Yeah. From a recipe, right? I mean, literally, the recipe of our of our signature drink was something that, and and I even told you know you do not deviate from this uh, unless they say, well, the client or something wants something a little different, but typically the recipe is the recipe, and that's what makes us. Who we are and you'd always have team members that come in the seven on the enneagrams that are like yeah but can we try this and that and you're like no that's not in the recipe that, that that's always fun but you know yeah those recipes are really important and what make 
uh, you Absolutely. Well, we've got to remind business owners that the valuation of the business is not what you would pay. It's what someone else would pay. Yeah. So we've our job as business owners is to make our business attractive for someone to buy. So in other words, why would they buy our business? What's the risk of buying our business compared to starting from scratch? And if we've built a whole lot of things and put them in place and got some inertia and momentum and, and our business is going along and it's chugging along, that may be enough to reduce the risk of them starting from scratch. And if we've got them, we've got our own special recipes and people come for our recipes. If people come to us because of you know our location, these are all start things that start to de-risk it even further and make it even more attractive. So yeah. Okay, so th so there's some more tips for us, Brandon, that we we've got along. So we're I'm learning a bit here. What else did you learn as you went through the process? So you you started, you got a valuation, you 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 had uh, an interested buyer. Did you get an advisor or a broker or someone to help you with the the transaction and doing the deal? A little bit. I mean, a lot was the relationships that we already had, and I think that the key thing is building those relationships, even when you're not intending to sell a business is really key and helpful because other people see you as the uh, they they might being part of those communities uh they know who you are and that's how we did it uh, was because of the relationship now we did do evaluation and make sure a broker all that stuff um but uh it wasn't actually it was totally backwards and not planned that way um and the other thing I would say a lot of times that people don't realize is having access to capital or even emergency fund. You know, I know our, our world today is like everything needs to be giving an ROI, right? But sometimes having access to uh, what I call lazy money is really important. And to have that ability to tap into those reserves and that's again why profit first and infinite banking are so powerful because then when crap hits the fan you're not end up getting a second uh, person bought into your business you know yeah. banks and and the sort because banks man they they run a profitable business for sure and so how do we make sure we keep a good margin okay so so knowing your numbers is 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 in that as well isn't it yeah and having a, a okay with some of it that's just lazy money, right? I mean, yeah. that's okay, um, but building that foundation, I think we're, we're taught to risk and um, keep going after it and, and grow, grow, grow. But sometimes building that foundation is what makes something last and more sellable. Yeah, so it needs to be built on solid foundations, you know, the the core business principles need to be in place and that that the four you know is operations it, it's finance and and marketing are the, are the three key ones that you know apply to every business okay so we, we've got those in place we've we've got someone who's now negotiating with us they're interested in in buying what was the attractive piece for them the, the acquirer was it that they wanted to buy their own job or was there what was special to them that you know they they wanted to buy your business as opposed to put their money elsewhere yeah we were unique in that we were a social enterprise which is a one of those um kind of hybrid between a nonprofit and a for-profit uh and the it was a nonprofit that bought the building or bought the um coffee shop 
to be able to amplify what they were doing uh, in those other pieces of their business, right. uh, nonprofit, to be able to run a social enterprise was a really good thing for them, right? Uh, and so we were uh, forefront, at least in the state that we were in, in starting this whole thing. And we were, we just didn't have the capital to make it a Starbucks. Like we weren't um, that big, right? And personally. Um, and so we needed somebody else really. And sometimes that that's knowing yourself as an individual. I know I'm a good starter um, and building in that kind of thing. But as far as building a, a business that was gonna be all over like Ray Kroc or something like that, that wasn't not going to be my uh, skill set in knowing that somebody else could take it, and and so that that was an important thing for us to to okay. really be reflective. Yep. So recognizing your skill sets as the entrepreneur and what your strengths are, and that you'd taken it as far as you could, and you had the energy to, and it sounds like the acquirer. It, it was a nice strategic fit for them. So it added, it extended what they are already doing in the marketplace and, and sort of just built that. And it was so far cheaper for them to effectively acquire and buy those skill sets in, in to add to their business rather than go and find the skills and start something from scratch. Yeah, I mean, he he bought something that now he can use and leverage in his speaking and in other areas that yep. just is a uh, feather in his cap. Right. And it makes money. Good. OK, so how did the negotiations go and how long did they take? Those were always challenging, uh, mainly because, you know, we want to sell their waiting or or they, you know, the hems and haws, the lawyers, the different things. It, it always takes longer than you think. Uh, and then we we wanted it clear and set. Uh, and then what happened was we had all the guidelines set up and figured it out. We were going to be around for a year, you know, but we were kind of moving on. And of course we knew what was going to happen after we sold it, that they'll ask some questions. Yeah. Uh, one example was, and this was just crazy, uh, um, health department license, uh, food service license. They were like, well, I thought we could just buy your license and we'd be fine. And we're like, uh, no, we told you, uh, you know, just because you buy the car doesn't mean you, uh, you, you, you have to have your own license. That, that's the way it works in, in driving. Uh, it's the same kind of principle. And they were a little uh, confused in that and it stalled them a little bit, but we had mentioned and said, Hey, this is, this is it, but they did not, what do you call it? Um, it's up to them, right? They're, they're taking it on. We knew. We just wanted to make sure we are. Uh, it, it was it was challenging, but uh, we overcame it. Okay. And so, what did you learn from that process, Brandon? What what would you do differently if you were to do that again? Go through an exit again? Yeah, I think we are very detail oriented. Having somebody, again, more detail-oriented is helpful. And just, again, finding every deal is going to be different. And even if I figure out everything that's going to work, the next one's going to be unique to us. We love processes and procedures and following the yellow book on how to sell a business or whatever it is. You know, I don't know. That's what we did. Like We're like, 
all right, how do you sell a business? I better pick up a book to learn right now. Uh, and so we followed it and then gave it to the buyer and said, here's what you do. And they were asking us, right? And I think that was, you know, good and bad. But I don't, I don't know if I, when, when we'll sell this one or if we will. I know we, we're setting it up to be able to sell, but I don't know that we will. But I mean, it's going to be worth a lot more money. Okay. Of course, I say that, but then it'll be less probably because I, I'm overvaluing. <laughs> well, and that's why it always helps to have a, an independent um, advisor on board just to you know, nudge you along, keep you accountable to implementing all the things that we're typically reluctant to do ourselves and just the things that we're not aware of that will add value to yeah, and make it easier for our business to be acquired when, when the time comes. So we get a lot of business owners, they, they, they're they asking and going, yeah, how long before, yeah, should I be preparing my business for exit before I have any intention of exiting? I, I don't want to sell my business for five or 10 years. And, you know, I'll always say to them, well, the, the sooner you can be exit ready, you know, you actually, the benefits are you have a more profitable business and it's more fun to run along the way. So you may as well get it done early because, you know, they're just good business practices as well as the good governance and, and corporate go, um, compliance type of issues you need to put in place and have all the information that someone who would be looking to acquire a business would want to see. Just good business practice, a lot of those things, but not necessarily required on a day-to-day -day basis. But why yeah. would you want to do it? We don't know what's going to happen, right? I mean, as much as you say, I'm going to do this forever. I mean, my mother-in-law was like, I'm going to retire and, you know, I'm going to do this. And then she had a stroke. Like those life things happen that, that we do not have control over. Exactly. And so building those things in place. So that way, let, God forbid you're in a coma someone can um, be in a good position to, if they need to sell it, they can to take care of you. Yeah. So it's the old um, Boy Scout motto, isn't it? About being prepared. Yeah. Um, and, uh, be ready. And, and that's where the using the profit first system, using the infinite banking system, if those work um, to help you there, all, all of these things are just tools. Uh, a person that helps you, value you're doing a business valuation those things just help elevate you uh, and use those tools uh, wisely i think okay so brenda just using that the businesses the owners who are listening to us at the moment what's the one key message you want them to remember and take away from this conversation what's the the most important piece for you um i think that it's really knowing your metrics whether it's your financial numbers, your marketing numbers, you may not, like, I don't do bookkeeping, right? Um, however, I can read a PL statement and understand what's, what's kind of going on. Uh, and you may not be at this where you can hire a CFO full-time, right? Yeah. But understand that role. And until then you are the CFO of the business um, and understanding that, and numbers is so important that people just think or they'll they'll uh, give it to somebody else or understanding, again, how much the banks play into our uh, overhead and cost, right? Just in a credit card swipe. I'm like, 2% just goes away. Uh, and on the other side, uh, understanding the implications from a tax 
perspective, having a good team that's helping you um, mitigate, but also tax planning versus just mitigating taxes. So yeah. having a team around you that thinks differently, but are looking for the potholes and the other things that you don't see because you're out there making sales maybe or whatever it is in your strength so getting those complementary skills not not having everyone in the business the same as you yeah, yeah. and, and so, your advisors may disagree and that's okay yeah so know your numbers is the big one by the sounds of it brilliant Hey, Brandon, thanks for sharing your story with us today. I appreciate it. Some um, great food for thought there. Look, we do need to know our numbers as business owners. Um, at the end of the day, that's how success is measured. measured and uh, it's how we know we're going to be in business tomorrow to be de delivering whatever it is our dream is, our vision about our business. Thanks for joining us, Brandon. Awesome. Thanks for having me.